you're more than welcome to do so in this lobby the sound is off but if you're here participating please make your way forward inshallah and sit as uh, close as possible to the member Jazakumullah khaira uh, today's topic as we're reading from Kitab al-Zuhud of Abdullah Mbarak is, is titled Guarding the Tongue yesterday we talked about righteous companions right the truthful companions so today is uh, Guarding the Tongue Umar ibn Dar narrated from his father that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu said, "Inna Allah Taala inda lisani kulli qailin fattaqallaha amra'un alima ma yaqul." Allah Almighty is with a person's every utterance, so he should fear Allah in what he utters. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is with a person's every utterance, meaning Allah says, "Ma yalfidu min qaulin illa ladehi raqibun atid." There is not a single utterance of the human being. Lafz means utterance, not even a sentence or a proper meaningful sentence. It's just utterance. And with every utterance, Allah Azza wa Jal has an angel, watchful, who is who is uh, writing everything down, who is who is uh, scribing everything. So he says, similarly, if Allah's angel is there, meaning Allah Himself is there with His ilm. Allah Almighty is with every person's utterance, so he should fear Allah in what he utters. Abu Rira radiallahu anhu narrated the Prophet said, Man kana yu'minu billahi wal yawm al-akhir fala yu'dhi jarahu. Whoever believes in Allah and the last day of, should not harm his neighbor. Man kana yu'minu billahi wal yawm al-akhir fala yukrimun dhaifahu. Whoever believes in Allah and the last day, he should honor his guest. Man kana yu'minu billahi wal yawm al-akhir fala yakul khayran aw liyasmut. Whoever believes in Allah and the last day, he should speak what is good or be silent. Three things have been mentioned in this famous hadith. The aspect of being kind to your neighbor, the aspect of being honor, honoring your, your guest. Remember, I didn't say just feed him, honor him. So honoring is way beyond just feeding. Sometimes you can feed someone a whole meal, but you have no respect for them, you don't honor them. Honoring is you give them you know, what, what they deserve and beyond that, right? And you give them based on uh, their status, not your status. So if someone... Uh, is used to eating in paper plates and then someone comes who's you accustomed to eating in cornyware or expensive plates ikram would be that if you are, if you if you want to be able to uh, honor someone would be that you bring them in, in you bring them um, and feed them in a manner that they are accustomed to if you can of course that is you know naturally you there is a, the ikram is we should make ikram as long as it does not lead to such level uh, that you cannot handle it and then you end up depriving someone totally say oh since I cannot feed you in this type of uh, uh, dish since I don't have seven items I only have we only eat one we eat according to the sunnah so uh, hence I cannot feed you so that's in that happens also sometimes in the name of ikram we end up doing so much that it becomes we burn out or we just don't do it from the very get-go because we said we don't have the bandwidth to be able to do that you know, sometimes people say, if we want to have someone, like literally if someone is in town visiting, he doesn't have a meal, how quick would be nice if we could create an environment, a guest comes, someone's there in town, whatever you had for lunch, if it was good for you, it was good for him. Think about it like that. But then usually our takalluf that we have in our society, formality, it doesn't allow us to be like that. Previously, that's how it would be. When I went to South Africa, now subhanAllah, when I went to visit my teacher, you know, that's it, I came out of the, I came out of the car coming from the airport, one of my teachers saw me, he said, Oh, Kaponche. I said, I just got here right now. He said, Ajo. He said, Joey, you know, literally, and that's literally whatever was at home. If it's good for my teacher, it's good for me. You know, it was a, a cup, quickly threw on a cup of tea and, you know, had an egg and some qima or whatever it was and roti, alhamdulillah, more than enough. Five, seven minutes, you have it ready. How long does it take to have prepared that stuff? But the idea is, how often are people like that, right? People say, No, I have to spend another couple, I have to call the professional cleaning service, first of all. <laughs> right before you can step foot uh, if it's really that bad you shouldn't be staying there either you know <laughs> if, if it's really that bad that you need to provide so these things and we have to make ikram of someone naturally I'm saying we should make ikram so if there's some papers thrown on the floor your things are the laundry's over there kids made a little mess naturally you have kids at home of course they're gonna do all that so then you clean up the thing five minutes ten minutes fifteen minutes half an hour um, and so previously, you know, in childhood days, subhanAllah, last night I was speaking about my childhood. So one of the things that when we had, when guests were coming, it was so exciting because it was just like a big thing in the house. Guests would be coming with like two days in advance. Our parents say, okay, so your cousins are coming or someone from Chicago is coming. It was a big thing for us. And, um, you know, the, you, you would go all out in, in just preparing and it, just, it was just this, this excitement like, Eid Ramzan, guests are coming. 
it wouldn't, it wouldn't happen too often, but people who lived in the city, I presume it would happen more often because we live so far away from the city in, uh, in Kankakee. So the chance of people just stopping by at your house was much less. But if you're living, say many of our elders who grew up in Muslim countries or, or in parts of Muslim populated areas overseas, it would be probably a normal thing. You have someone just stop by 10 minutes. You know, I was just driving by, I just thought I'll come see you. And there's no formality. You literally say, you know, tanda garam, right? You're gonna have you're gonna have something warm or you have something cold. You wanna have coke or cold or Pepsi or you wanna have chai. So one of my teachers, the same one who invited me to his house, he say, you know, no jawan kya kehte hain ya tolaba kya kehte Garam tayar hone tak tanda pi lunga. He's like, tanda piyoge garam. You gonna eat? You drink something warm or cold? He says, until you finish preparing the warm, I'll have the cold prepared. Right? <laughs> I'm sorry. Until I finish preparing the warm, I'll have the. I'll, you can enjoy the cold. Yeah, Subhanallah. So, actually, I said this joke in class long ago, six, seven years ago. So then one day I invited the students, one of the classes, to my house. <laughs> it was his class. So, mashallah, one of his one of his classmates literally said the same joke to me. I asked you guys, what you guys want some cold drinks or Pepsi or stuff? Or you guys want hot chocolate chai? And literally, that's exactly what he said. Inshallah, I'll have both. By the time you prepare that one, I'll have this one. So there, there you go in America, mashallah. You know, the joke actually came right back to me. Um, Subhanallah. So the the, the ikram al-dayf, just being generous and open with our guests, etc. This is something really. Um, important for us to, to learn and to teach uh, teach our children because children pick up from the parents and when they'll see when, they, when, par- when parents will see when children will see that the parents are so hospitable and uh, they uh, you know then they will inshallah create this mizaj within them you know and again overseas so nice culture kids are playing outside on the street and then you just all the kids just walk into the house right little kids they come and say what, what does mom do right then say, this was mine, and that's the neighbor's go. No, you, whatever is there, you feed the little kids of the street, of the neighborhood. Everyone eats together, or everyone drinks something together. And subhanAllah, so that uh, bonds are created from a very young age, and this temperament is created that this is all the makhluk of Allah. It's an honor for us to be able to feed someone. It's an honor for us to be able to give some things to, someone to drink. Naturally, of course, we have to be aware of the special circumstances that people may have. So we should not train our kids to go into anyone's house. No, I'm not saying that. That also big problem. Uh, for example, someone was mentioning that the uh, you know that he has an issue because the kids come uh, from the neighborhood, even here. Interesting. I said, "Well, that's great." He said, "No, but it's not great because they come and they ransack the whole pantry, and then they're not, uh, you know then they they're not Muslims too. So then they'll just sit there and do things that are not you know we wouldn't want that type of environment in our home. So then, Subhanallah, like then those children's parents unfortunately don't have they're not Muslims, but still they don't have the understanding that hey you know everyone's got their own. T- uh, uh, temple in their home. We should not allow our kids to go. Uh, if you want to go with the temple and eat halal zabiha food, mashallah, and pray salah with the kids, mashallah. But if not, we don't want to ruin the environment of someone else's house because our kids are just very free. So it's not good to do that either. But uh, the key thing is, Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, if you believe in Allah and the Day of Judgment, you'll honor your guest. Is what I'm trying to say. That this is such a huge thing that ikram and honoring the guest has been hinged with belief in Allah and the Day of Judgment. It's not a small thing. So let us ask Allah Azza wa to make us all generous in our uh, ability to honor one another, not to regard guests as burden, right? To shut the lights off, put the blinds down, let them ring the bell, but I guess they're not here. Okay, I'll move on. Yeah, then they'll figure their way out to, you know, to the, what you call, uh, restaurants nearby. So this, this idea, now you have uh, catering and all these other things available, which they didn't have before, all these restaurants. So say you can't cook food at home, you can still order it and take the food from outside and then serve it in a nice plate. But that's, you know, our idea, I, 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 when we went to go visit, it was Ramadan, uh, subhanAllah, we went to go visit Mawlana Tariq Jamil Sahib in his gown, in his village. This is 2000 before I enrolled uh, in the madrasa. And it was Ramadan, we went to Tulamba, his town. And so um, we, were not, we, had to go, we had to go back for Maghrib, like we had to leave before Maghrib. So literally he took a few hundred rupees and gave it to the driver. And he said, on the way, stop by and buy something for iftar for them, right? What was that? The idea is, I want to serve you, you're my guest, but I don't have the money. I mean, you can't, I can't feed you now because you're fasting. So what should I do? Well, and I can't, there's, there's nothing going to be ready three hours before iftar at home. And it's going to go bad in the heat. So just give the money to the driver. And so this is something... Like this is how it's supposed to be. Do ikram. Don't allow these so-called formalities ruin everything. 
You know what I mean? You can feel, you know what? You can literally call in and someone says, oh, I'm in town. I'm in Chicago. Are you at home? No, brother, I'm traveling. Okay, guess what? Where are you at? I'm on Devon. Okay, you know what? XYZ restaurant is a really nice place. Okay, we'll go there. You call up the restaurant, give them the credit card and say, hey, that, bill, that table, so-and-so is coming in, it's on my, my tab. How nice. You honored them. You did ikram with them without even being there. Something simple. Imagine how, that is the desire we should all have. That let me find an opportunity to serve someone. We should come with this niya. I built this home. I built this kitchen. I built this things. People proudly say, mashallah, this guy. I said, beautiful kitchen. Yeah, alhamdulillah. We've been here for 10 years. We haven't opened it yet. But what are you waiting for? What in the world are you waiting for? Chicken, you know, the kitchen that actually we use is downstairs. So the, you know, the, that's the kitchen for sure. This is all the brothers know what I'm talking about. This is very, very common nowadays. You have one, actually sometimes they have three. One in the real one that they work on is in the garage. And then they have the one upstairs also and the downstairs also. Both of them are just for show. And the one in the garage is the one that, you know, you know the butler's kitchen. I think they call it that. Uh, no one sees, right? Okay, with all of these kitchens that we have, mashallah, probably maybe 14, 18, 20 stovetops, four ovens, right? maybe six microwaves. Are we feeding more people? We're feeding not even a tenth of what our parents used to feed in two-bedroom, one-bathroom apartment, home, in, in, back home. Non-stop People be coming MashaAllah Food is cooked deserved. 20 minutes Just wait 20 minutes Literally they go Order the meat From the street vendor outside Grab the vegetables And they would Entice them with some sweets Or some chai Why? Just to keep them there While they quickly prepare the food And why? Why you have to do that? Because genuinely People thought It's rewarding And it's an honor To feed guests And today it's opposite It's a burden We have microwaves Literally yesterday's food Just warm it up man You've got stuff in the freezer too, that's great, you put it in the freezer yesterday. Warm that up. Nope. They gotta eat fresh. You think the restaurants cook fresh? Let's not go down that direction. SubhanAllah. Why you get food from a restaurant that doesn't, you put it in your own nice fridge at home, next day it's expired. I have experienced this so many times. Never have I experienced for home cooked, you know, our family's food, food ever going bad. Literally, I can eat six days later, five days later, if it's somewhere in the back, and mashallah, you warm it up, it tastes great. But you get a restaurant, the best restaurants of the city. You bring their food, sometimes in a house it will last in the fridge, bring it at lunchtime, but dinner is gone. You're like, how is that possible? Because it's not fresh. Just in case you all thought it was fresh. Most of the time it's not fresh. They have, they're cooking for so many thousands of people, so they put all the spices and everything, and they put in the meat from beforehand, and that's why you don't know when was this meat marinated, how long it's been outside, and so forth. The goal is, when people say we're eating fresh in the restaurant, no, your food at home is probably way more fresh than the food that is in a restaurant. So we need to create this temperament of, of feeding people. Now someone may say, oh, but you know the boss is the house of the kitchen is my wife. Right? So that's why, what can I do? Well, guess what? Then learn how to cook. If you don't know how to learn how to cook, then you learn how to use Uber Eats. Learn how to send your son to go grab some food from the restaurant. Do it yourself. Say, you know what? I don't need help. I'll do it myself. I don't, if you don't feel like doing it, guess what? This is equally. If it's not 100% my house, at the very least, it's equally my house, right? Equally? How is it gonna, you're going to dictate who eats in my house or not? That doesn't make sense. There's something really wrong with that power differential here. If I want to invite some guests and feed them, you say no. Now you don't have to do anything. No, but now you have this, you have OCD. Well, what am I supposed to do with your OCD? You know, this is my sibling, my cousin, or someone's here in town, I want to feed them. So these are things that we don't take a stance on. And subhanAllah, you think what's going to happen? This first generation is already losing generosity. What's going to happen to the next generation? And the houses are getting bigger, but the bukhal and stinginess is getting even way bigger than that. So these are the, the ideas that you see. Sometimes, I remember subhanAllah in India, I was in Khuruj after Fajr. It was raining, raining, pouring. And the brother said, we got to go visit one Muslim brother. You know? So we went to his house. Tin roof, brother. Tin roof, small little hut. And we knocked and he opened the door. And literally he pulled a curtain because his entire house was probably maybe 15 feet by 15 feet. And his wife and his kids were right there. It's all kitchen, everything right there in a tin roof. What did he do? He, he scooted over, pulled the, pulled the uh, curtain, right? He pulled the, pulled the curtain over so that they are behind the curtain. He sat us down. SubhanAllah, he had a hot plate. He turned it on. He had some water, he put it on, and he started making chai right in front of us. I still remember the chai till now. It's 2007. Uh, you know, the chai was so watery. 
I'm used to having nice dud pati, you know, mashallah, all this that good stuff. Bichara can't afford dud pati. Where is he going to get money for milk? So just a little bit for color's sake, they add a little bit of milk in there. And the, t- the, tea bag, the tea itself is also such a cheap, inferior quality. And they serve you in these small cups. But it's 6 a.m. after Fajr. It's pouring. The whole ra- I could barely hear him because the, the tin roof is being hit by rain. But if you come to my house, how can you walk away without tea? We all know that. That's how it is. Why is it that, subhanAllah, we have such beautiful, gorgeous lawns and homes and backyards, but we've become such a group of stingy people? Right? Absolutely... You know, the, as bigger as the home has become, our hearts have become smaller. And we have to owe up with that. We have to realize that. We have to change. We have to change. Everyone, and to the extent that now, Alhamdulillah, Allah blessed us with a place where we have a walk, you know, a separate area for a guest. I said specifically this niyyah that, you know, for guests, I try to guest to come say, please come to my house, right? Like, no, I prefer a hotel. I'm like, man, I guess okay, times are different. So, so some people, they've just, their tastes have changed. No matter if you go to an 10-star hotel, the comfort that you get, at, at, as long as it's separate, you have a separate home, mashallah, that comfort you'll never get in a hotel. It is not possible. Look at how many disbelievers were there last night in that room for the past 300 nights. How many disbelievers will be coming there? What type of nonsense? Where is the salah there? What's the haram is happening in that place? A person is going there. What enjoyment are you going to get when instead of you have a Muslim brother's home? MashaAllah. There's istinja is proper. You have a lorta also. You have a qibla. You have a musalla too. You know there's, it's all clean carpets. Everything nice and clean. No najasa. Nothing. Built with halal money. That's, that is something we should, of course, appreciate. Naturally, if someone has got a whole bunch of kids, doesn't have a small separate place, and you, you're on a conference, and you need to write a book, or you need to prepare for your lectures and talks, or you need to do something else, I understand that. Privacy is important in that sense. But the idea is going back to, we should be willing to offer. We should have this desire. When you build a home, or when you move into a new place, have this desire that I want the guest to come and stay here. Through the barakah of the guest, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will put, uh, uh, will put barakah in my sustenance. And our children need to hear it. So, man It's connected with believing in Allah and the Day of Judgment. If you believe in Allah and the Day of Judgment, you will honor your guest. Whoever believes in Allah and the Day of Judgment, he should speak good, or be silent. Be, be silent. Don't, you know, meaning, you don't have, we don't have to speak. But if we're going to speak, we have to make sure it's something beneficial. So this, this whole t- section, of course, was about guarding the tongue. All right. Now, how do we judge a person? What's a good and bad that a person has? Adi ibn Hatim radiallahu anh said, The good of the man and the bad of the man, the good and the bad of a man lies where? Between his jaws. If you want to judge a person, judge him based on what's between his jaws. If his tongue is beautiful and sweet, he's a good man. If his tongue is horrible, but he's got everything else, that means nothing. That will still not take away uh, the, the evilness of this individual if his tongue is not good. Sa'id ibn Iyas al-Jarari related from a man who said that he saw Ibn Abbas standing between the corner and the door of the Kaaba holding the tip of his tongue. Abdullah ibn Abbas is holding the tip of his tongue and is saying, Woe to you! Say what is good and you will profit. Or stay at least, if you can't say good and be profitable, then then at least don't say bad things. Taslam and you will be safe. Someone said to him, Why are you holding on to the tip of the tongue? You're in front of the Kaaba. Like, what's going on over here? Why are you holding on to the tip of the tongue in front of the Kaaba? He replied, I have realized that the servant will not be more furious. The servant will not be more furious with any part of his body <coughs> on the day of rising than his tongue. The thing we will all hate the most is our tongue on the Day of Judgment. We'll be so angry with our tongue because it's our tongue that would have caused us so many problems. Abu Hussein narrated that Abdullah radiallahu anhu said, أَنذَرَتُكُمْ فُضُولَ الْكَلَامِ بِحَسْبِ أَحَدِكُمْ مَا بَلَغَ حَاجَتُهُ I warn you about speaking too much. I warn you about speaking too much. What is necessary 
is enough for you. Speak only that amount which is necessary. Do not say anything beyond that. Because as soon as we go fudul al-kalam, as soon as we start speaking unnecessary things, very, very soon what happens? We start falling into haram. So the key thing is that we just speak when spoken to, speak that which is needed. Beyond that, don't say that. Don't speak. And when we talk about speaking, we mean texting, messaging also. It's all the same thing. Let's not think. Because nowadays it seems like people text more than they speak. So all the rules of speaking apply to texting as well. Abdul Malik ibn Abjar narrated that Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu said, أَكْثَرُ النَّاسِ أَكْثَرُ النَّاسِ خَطَايَا يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ أَكْثَرُهُمْ خَوْضًا فِي الْبَاطِلِ The people with the most sins on the day of rising will be those who must often delved into falsehood. The people who have the most sin on the day of judgment are those who spoke about batil. This is our musibat. That not only are we speaking too much, but unfortunately the type of stuff we speak is not just uh, like backbiting, cheating, lying, deception, uh, hurting people's feelings, breaking people's hearts. That's all there. Batil. But then speak about ulama, speak about fudala, speak about the sahaba, speaking about the imma, speaking about the matters of deen without knowledge. This is such a big disease that we have. And you've heard me speaking about this in the past few days. That Allah Azza wa Jalla orders us to stay away from such people who make a mockery of the deen. And don't sit with them. So this is, and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the hypocrites. He says, if you tell them, uh, you know, how dare you speak like this? They say, إِنَّمَا نَخُودُ وَنَلْعَبُ Tusif, we're just, uh, just joking. We're not serious. Khamakha, why are you getting angry, man? Why are you getting upset? We're just joking. I said that. We're just saying stuff. إِنَّمَا نَخُودُ وَنَلْعَبُ We're just playing around. Allah says, قُلْ أَبِلَّهِ وَآيَاتِهِ وَرَسُولِهِ كُنْتُمْ تَسْتَهْزِئُونَ Are you serious? Tell them, Rasulullah tell them. You found no one else to make a mockery of besides Allah and His Rasul and His verses of the Quran? Like how dare you? What kind of answer is this? That we're just joking. You know, people make fun of the beard. People make fun of the miswak. People make fun of the kufi. People make fun of the sunnah. People make fun of this and that. Like really, you don't find anything else. To, why don't you make fun of your... It would be much better to make fun of your face. Make fun of someone else. How dare out of all the things out there, you have the audacity to make fun of Allah. Make fun of His Rasulullah. Make fun of the verses of the Quran. لا تعتذروا. Don't give excuses. Allah says, don't give excuses. قَدْ كَفَرْتُمْ بَعْدَ إِمَانِكُمْ You have become disbelievers after having been given faith. Meaning this is disbelief. You can call yourself believers as much as, much as you want. But this act of making fun of the deen will take you out of the fold of Islam. Allah, His Rasul, the verse of the Quran, they're off limits. You dare not ever, ever point your fingers or allow your tongue to see anything that will... What does the Quran say in Surah Hajat? لا ترفعوا أصواتكم فوق صوت النبي. Do not lift your voice, raise your voice beyond the voice of the Prophet ﷺ. ولا تجروا له بالقول. Do not speak to him in an elevated voice كجهر بعضكم لبعض the way you speak to one another. كيا هوجا if you do so أن تحبط أعمالكم وأنتم لا تشعرون. Otherwise, your deeds may all be nullified without you even realizing. Raising the voice in front of Rasulullah is a, such a sin. The only other sin like this mentioned in the Quran is what? What's this? In Surah Sayyid, The only other sin that comes to my mind right now that's anywhere mentioned in the Quran that your actions will be nullified is leaving Islam, becoming an apostate. Whoever leaves Islam becomes a disbeliever. All the good that they did in this dunya or akhirah will all be nullified. So raising your voice above the voice of Rasulullah is the only other sin mentioned in the Quran that would actually potentially make a person's all good deeds zero. This is not a joke. This ayah is written on the resting place of Rasulullah in Medina Munawwar today. This ayah is there. And nowadays, of course, people are shorker, right? You see how loud it is? You see how loud? In, in, in front of Rasulullah's Rawda, talking, laughing, joking, video, most people, 9 out of 10 are on video calls. 9 out of 10 are on Facebook Live. 
as they're, as, as they're there. Astaghfirullah. You're supposed to be, you're not supposed to, you're supposed to be in the court of the king of all kings after Allah Azza wa Jal, the king of humanity. Imagine how respectful and soft we're supposed to be there. People don't realize it. And the one who's telling people to stay quiet, he's screaming even louder. Unfortunately. There's no adab, right? You're not, you don't t- scream to tell people to stay. You just create a vibe from the very get-go. Here, done. No talking. Silence. You create silence. And so this is the silence we're supposed to have in the court of Rasulullah when he's alive and after he's passed away as well. His ruh has moved on, but his, you know, that connection is still there with us. So it's so interesting that raising the voice in front of Rasulullah is such a damning sin. So imagine making fun of the sunnah of Rasulullah or saying things that would be disrespectful. All of these people nowadays, like you know, who are saying, Oh brother, there's different perspectives, two sides of the same coin. There's different things of how, you know, not about how to do a majlis. Everything is not have to be done conservatively the way you keep on preaching. And I tell them, if you have fitrah in your heart, I just want to ask the way you set up your events. How, how would you feel? Would you really feel Rasulullah would feel comfortable coming here? Like just ask yourself. And if you say yes, then you know what? I'll let Allah Azza wa Jal decide this issue tomorrow. Because then that's it. I rest my case. If you feel that Rasulullah you truly are creating an environment that the Prophet would feel comfortable that this is my ummah. MashaAllah. Let me sit with you a little bit. Let me sit with you a little bit. Let me go say salam to that one. Because this is what you've created. Uh, an environment that was in my masjid. And if it's not that, then don't try to act more religious, more caring, and more empathetic than the Prophet we care about the people. That's why we're doing this. You care more than the Rasul. You care more than the Prophet ﷺ. You have more, more love for the Ummah. You know about Jahannam and the intensity of it more than he did. That you are going to go bend the deen and change it up in order to bring people in. If there's anyone who had done that, who could do that, who would do that, it would be the Prophet ﷺ. But the lines are already drawn out by Allah. Who am I? That is why when Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, when he came to the Had, it would be, it would be instances, you know, uh, that uh, there was an instance where someone got caught stealing, if I remember correctly, and said that um, the case was brought to the Prophet So when the case was brought to the Prophet he said, okay, well, the hand must be cut. After multiple times, it was, it was figured out the amount of money that was stolen was such that the capital punishment must be met out. Then the Prophet ﷺ became emotional, if I remember correctly, started crying. And said, why is it that one, a, a hand of my ummati is being cut for something that they've stolen? So now the companions were wondering, like, wait, hold on. Like, you're the one who ordered it. He says, because you brought it to me. Once a case comes to me, I have no choice but to ensure that the command of Allah is met out. But if you didn't bring it to me, I wouldn't have known about it and I would not be obliged to do anything about it. Amazing, right? Look at the balance here. Immense empathy, love for the ummah. But then, there's no such thing as watering down Allah's commands. You can't. Once it comes. So there's an interesting story too as well. That a wealthy you know, family, powerful family, one of their women was caught stealing. And they said, oh man, if how can we go and our daughter of our tribe, her hand is going to get cut in front of everyone. What, this is going to be, this is the, her, that's bad, she lost her hand. But worse than that is, we won't be able to ever show face in, in society. That what kind of you know, horrible tribe this is, and what kind of horrible people they are, that they're own, they couldn't even teach their daughter to not steal. So they said, let's try to go make a, uh, you know, tr- let's try to make a deal with the Prophet ﷺ. So then they said, in order to make a deal, let's go send a proper deal maker. And let's go send uh, the beloved of Nabi ﷺ, Zayd radiallahu anhu. Right? The beloved. Was he sent Zayd, I think so. And when he and went there, and he said, Ya Rasulullah, you know, these people have sent me to as a representative. Um, or was it Osama bin Zayd? Was it Osama bin Zayd or Zayd? Osama bin Zayd, the son of the beloved of Rasulullah go, go and speak to Rasulullah and ask him for if he can make some concession 
you know, a leeway for, for this lady, you know, please, let's just let her go this time. And Nabi scolded him such a harsh manner that he wished, not only did he wish that he would never have come there and asked, that he wished that he had accepted Islam right then and there, meaning that this is such a sin that I wish that I, that I would, you know, it would have happened in Jahiliyyah. And that Islam would have come and wiped it clean. Because no matter how big of a sin you have done, when Islam comes in, it wipes it clean. So he was so shocked or surprised or just taken aback by the anger of Rasulullah that how dare you come and try to negotiate a deal and ask me to let it go. And deal money, not to give money or anything, just let it go. And then Nabi, Nabi salam said, this is a Fatima? You're telling me I should be easy with her? Let me tell you one thing. If Fatima bint Muhammad, the Fatima, the daughter of Prophet Muhammad وسلم, Allah forbid ma'adallah, if she were to do something like this, I wouldn't have changed it. She would have to also face the punishment. She would have to face the punishment. Even if she is Fatima, the daughter of the Nabi wasallam. So this is what our deen teaches us, that there is no, uh, you know, messing around. If you own the deen, you can do whatever you want. But it's not our deen. It's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's deen. So every time we think about our home, our gathering, let's say we, inshallah, you know, we, get, we have weddings of our children, we have all these other events happening, just keep this as a golden standard rule in your mind. Let, let's have the setup over here. You know, say, Kasa, how is it looking? Sofa over there, mashallah, there's tent over here, the food stand over here. How does it look? We all ask, how does it look? So you would say, you know, we should ask that if Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would come into this gathering, would he feel comfortable? Which, where would he sit? And you say, ha, no, Nabi if you come here, you wouldn't even sit here, man. You would just turn away and leave. Then why are you doing this? How do you think it's going to cause, bring blessing to your son or daughter's marriage? How is it going to bring bl- blessing to your family? If we do something, which you know is absolutely something that Rasulullah would not want to participate in. So inshallah, if we keep this in mind, then our, hopefully that will assist us in ensuring that our arrangements are done. Properly. Tariq ibn Sihab narrated that Abdullah Mas'ud radiallahu anhu said, Inna rajula la yakhruju min baytihi wa ma'ahu deenuhu. Indeed, a man, sometimes a man leaves his house with his religion. Ajeeb hadith. A man leaves his house with his religion. Wa ma'ahu deenuhu. Thumma yarji'u wa ma ma'ahu minhu shay'. And then he comes back and returns home with nothing. Ghar se niklata deen ke saath, wapis aay khalihat. He left home with deen, came back home empty. Why? He encounters a man who cannot harm or benefit himself or others. A man who cannot benefit or harm him or anyone else. And he says to him, And he says, You are so and so, you are so and so, you're very big, you're great, you're amazing. He praises him. And he returns without providing for any of his needs. وَقَدْ أَسْخَطَ اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ Angering Allah in the process. Meaning, this is powerful words of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. That a man left the home. A man left the brothers. Move forward, please. Please move forward. These gaps here in this big chunk of, you know, we don't want to see the red carpet, right? Move forward, inshallah. All these brothers, Allah reward you. Agiyah, inshallah. Come sit close as possible. This is the etiquette. When we sit, anytime we attend a gathering of knowledge or dhikr, any, any masjid, always go forward, sit in front, and ensure that there are no gaps. The brothers who are in the hallway also ask them to join. We have a few minutes left. Uh, you know, inshallah, it be good for them to join. Discussions can continue afterwards. Come forward, inshallah. So a person leaves, a person leaves the house, he has deen. But what is deen? We talked about a little bit about yesterday. Deen is a condition of the heart as well as the whole life. But if a person has got salah, fasting, zakat, hajj, but the heart is disconnected from Allah, and he is looking and impressed by every Tom, Dick and Harry. You're sitting in the masjid and looking outside like, man, I wish I was like that. I wish like that. That's not deen. Why are you sitting in the masjid? For what? We're sitting in the masjid and we're looking at people who are driving by, walking by and say, I wish I had that. I wish I had that. Today, that's what happens. People are living in Muslim countries, but they're wishing they were non-Muslim countries. People are living in Muslim homes and they're wishing that they had, they were, they had what non-Muslims have. That is not the deen. That is not the deen. I remember Mulana Sulaiman Mullah would tell us as students. When we were students, he would give a bayan. One day he told us, he said, there are many of you, he said, there are many who drive by the wall of the madrasa. Huge, mashallah, huge wall outside the street. He said, there's many who drive by on the street of the outside. And they look at the madrasa and they wish they could be inside. 
And there are many who are sitting inside the madrasa, but they're wishing they could be outside. He says, it's far better to be outside and wishing to be inside than being inside and wishing to be outside. It's the reality of it. Because many times youth, youth, the kids, they don't know. They think running out of madrasa is the best thing. Let me just get out of here. And let me just excited to go see school, college. Like, you know, it's some amazing thing that they've been missing out on. So, subhanAllah. And there's others who are business people, professionals, whatnot. And they look at you all, the students of knowledge, a few who are here. And say, oh, subhanAllah, man. I wish I could be here. I wish I could study. They look at the classroom. I know sometimes people pass by the classrooms, see people studying. They get teary-eyed. They get teary-eyed. And they say, wow, man, what a life. To be able to sit and spend eight, nine hours reading, Qala Allah, Qala Rasul. Subhanallah, I wish I could do that. So that person is far better than the one who's sitting in class. And he says, man, I don't think I'm going to be able to get this seven-figure car if I sit over here, or six-figure car, or whatever. I need to be outside. I'm in the wrong field. Right? So, inshallah, our teachers would teach us all sorts of things. You know, he says, subhanallah. You know, so the key thing is the condition of the heart should be that we should be always desirous of deen. Always look at people who have more deen and say, I want to be like that. I want to be like that. I want to be like that. So Abdullah Masood is saying, the man is leaving the, the house with deen. And then he's coming back with nothing. Did he commit zina? He drank a whole, you know, a, a barrel of wine. He gambled all his money. What major sin did he do? Did you hear what he said? He went to someone who is good for nothing. Who's that? Is there a specific person? All of us are like that. No one here is able to harm or benefit anyone without the will of Allah. We're all, all of us are empty vessels. Only if Allah wants us to benefit someone, we can, otherwise we can't. And he goes to him, and then he says, Bhai, chap lusi. You know, butter him up. Apto essay, apto vese. You're like this, and you're like that, you're like this, you're like that. Kissing up to people. Saying, you know what? Can you please do it? Can you please take care of this? You're everything, mashallah, mashallah, all that stuff. And then he says, he comes back home, and the guy never did anything for him. Which is normally the case of these big shots. It's a waste of time. And then what happened? You, you, you kissed up to him, you got nothing, but you angered Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You angered Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is so powerful. He says, you come back empty-handed without any deen. Why did you go kiss up to someone who is no good in deen, and you're begging him to fulfill your needs, and that's what you get. That he didn't fulfill your needs. And on, 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 on top of that, you made Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upset. So from here we understand that our tongue has to be careful. Do never give praise to a person more than he deserves. Don't make anyone God. Don't make somebody, I just need your one signature, brother. Your one statement will do everything for me. I mean, I know we want to get some work done. We all understand. We all have needs from each other. But do it in moderation. Don't prop up someone to a level where Allah forbid, you are now trying to raise him up and bring him at the level of, of a God. And you know, that's how people speak, right? Uh, you're everything. I, you're everything to me. You're just one statement will do the job. You're one phone call, that's all I need. Don't say that. That's why when we stand up for fundraising in any masjid institution, don't ever, ever, ever say, this masjid runs on your donations. This institution runs on your contributions. We have been able to achieve all of this because of your contributions. Brother, no one has done anything without the will of Allah. Don't ever, ever give people the status of God by saying, if it, was, if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't be here. No, I'm sorry, that's completely false. Jhut, iftira' ala Allah. Falsely accusing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of something which, uh, which is absolutely wrong. You are playing, you're giving a status to someone of God which he is not. Who said that? That you're, you just give finished Jum'ah khutbah, La ilaha illallah, La ilaha illallah, adhan, iqama, tashahud, everything. And then you stand up, this is what I'm trying to say, this is what he's saying. This one statement throughout your whole Jum'ah, your khutbah, your bayan, your adhan, iqama, which all about tawheed, went out the door. When you said, this institution runs on your donations. We need you. No, you don't need anyone. You need Allah. And if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is on your side, then Allah will bring everyone to your feet. And if Allah is not on your side, you can do whatever you want, run around, you're never going to catch, catch up to your, yourself. You can, like you can't catch up to your shadow, you can't catch up to anything. So that's why being careful of what one word, that's why we're here in the effort, uh, our elders of Da'wah mentioned, a person can go out for three days, four days, four months, this, that, all that great stuff. But the, what you say, one word of 
of having conviction on someone besides Allah, your whole four months, three days, everything out. But unke paas chale jaye. Inse kam ho jayega apka. Goes to so and so place. Inshallah, he'll take care of you. Now they don't say inshallah. He'll take care of you. He's the one, man. He's the one. If you go to him, your needs will be taken care of. You need to get into that position. You need to get that hospital. Just go to him. He'll take care of you. That's the one. That one statement is so poisonous. Four months of your work went down the drain. You get what I'm saying? Because that one statement means what? The real yaqeen came out from the heart. That's what's inside your heart. That people can do. And the whole point of us going on the path of Allah is that people can't do. You can't do, I can't do, he can't do, she can't do, no one can do. Only Allah can do. And only people will do only what Allah wants them to do. So instead of speaking to someone, like it's this, like imagine this, someone is a, these, one of these lights and it's shut off now at Isha time or whatnot or after Isha. And you're saying, Bhai, please, come on, come on, come turn on, turn on, turn on. If you saw me doing this, what would you have thought? This guy's really lost his mind. People said he lost his mind. He really did, bud. Right? He's sitting there looking at the light. But there's a way. Yes, I am. But I saw the light was on. I was unable to read my book because of this. Now it's off. That's why I'm speaking to it and saying, please, come on. Please, can you turn on? But I understand the light comes from there. But you talk to it, you're wasting your time. You go over there. You press the button. You press the light switch. You don't need to beg this one. He can, he, if this guy wants to refuse, he can't refuse. You send the electricity there, he has to come on. That's what human beings are. We're just bulbs. The electricity is coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you go ask Allah, I need this guy to work. I need this one to give me this. I need this one to give me Well, he can't. Even if he doesn't want to, he can. Allah azza wa will put the order on him. He has to. He won't even know why he's doing it. You think Firaun wanted really to keep Musa? He can't. He was under orders. Not from his wife. From Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But they made it like that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought it through his wife. When he didn't care about his wife, he threw her into scalding oil and killed her. At the end of the story. But look at that initial stage of how it started off. Due to it, the wife became a means for it. But in reality, it was Allah's army that was working. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made him at that time susceptible. He didn't listen to his wife for a million other things. But this time when she said, Don't kill him. We'll adopt him. He listened to her. And that's it. That's where it went. You understand what I'm saying? So this is subhanAllah, what we learn from here is that every single one a person is what? And I'm better, you know, after, you can tell him after the salah, after, on the way out, whose son is this? On the way out, inshallah, I give the miswak, not during the dars. So uh, uh, the, the, the Prophet wasallam, the way that tarbiyah he made of the people was such that people should look at each other as empty vessels. He's empty, he can't do anything for me. Cannot benefit me, cannot harm me. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who does and take care of things. That's what we're supposed to learn. So when you say one statement, by you are everything for me, that, that unfortunately is so bitter and so dirty that it ruins the person's iman inside. Did you all understand this light example I gave? Right? So that's how they're doing it. Another example someone said, one scholar, he said it's like a bulldog, big pit bull, bulldog that, that a, a person is taking for a walk. And there have been unfortunate incidents where the dog attacks someone. And so when that a dog attacks someone, you're not going to sit there and do this to the dog. Please let me go, please. I have wife, kids, please. What's going to happen? You know, please, you know, I'm, I'm not even married yet. If you, subhanAllah, you know, if you get rid of my face, I won't be able to get married anymore. If you eat through my face, you're not going to go beg a pit bull. Instead, you're going to scream and try to grab the attention of the owner. You can do all you want to the pit bull, he's not going to understand your language. He will not have sympathy, no matter what you do to him. He's been trained to attack. However, he's also trained to listen to his master, his owner. If you're able to grab the attention of the owner and say, please take a look at your dog, all he has to do is he call, his, call the dog by his name and the dog will stop. Because the dog, the dog has been trained to defend the owner. So the dog was doing what the, he thought the dog, owner wants me to attack this guy. That's why I'm doing it. I'm, I don't care. I don't need to. He doesn't eat human flesh. That's not what he lives off of. He's a guard dog. So he thought this person is an enemy. But when you grab the attention of the master, and the master simply has to say, Rover, it's over. You know? And that's it. He won't make a next move. So this is how, subhanAllah, we have to understand the enemies that you perceive and I perceive out there. They're all in the hands of Allah. No enemy can harm you without the permission of Allah. 
No one can harm you at work. No one can harm you in family. No one can do anything without the permission of Allah. If they're harming you, understand Allah is allowing them to harm you. Maybe for whatever reason. Maybe as a cause of our sins. Maybe because of punishment for sins. Maybe for a reason for us to make tawbah and repent and come back. Whatever the case may be. But the solution is that before you sit there and beg them for mercy, go speak to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Pray to Rakat Salat al Hajjah. Beg Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and say, Ya Allah, please get this you know, person off of my back. And you'll see how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take care of it. So what did we, we learn again on this statement, this Abdullah Masood's statement here, is be careful how we say anything. One misspoken word can actually, you can lose your whole iman. The, because of attributing power, strength, success, failure to other people. This is something we have to be careful of. Makhul related that the Prophet ﷺ said, Al-mu'minuna hayyinuna layyinun. Al-mu'minuna hayyinuna layyinun. The believers are easygoing. The believers are easygoing. Like a camel with a noose ring. Now, a ca- huge camel, but he has a noose ring. What happens? Alladhi inqida inqada. If he is led somewhere, a huge camel will simply go with a little child. And if he's tied to a rock, he sits down and he stays tied to the rock. That, you know, powerful camel, why is it being able to be led by a child or even a man who if the camel wished, he could trample and destroy and kill? Because it understands that this person has a leash, a reins, and that's connected to this nose ring and this hurts a lot if he pulls it. Right? So I'm just going to listen. And maybe beyond that too, he's got food too. So, you know, my needs are fulfilled and if I don't listen, then I can get in trouble. It'll hurt. This is the example the Prophet ﷺ gave of a believer. That the believers are easy going. They don't try to be the sore thumb. Go with the flow. This is the sign of a believer. Sign of the believer is not to always be opposing everyone. Standing up and say, I don't like this, I don't like that. I think things should be like this, things should be like that. If, it, if it's not broken, don't try to fix it. If, unless there's a major issue, fine. Besides that, we'll go with the flow. And especially, of course, this is talking about not if go with the flow with haram. No, naturally not. We're talking about the matters of the deen. That if so, you're doing something, but someone says, brother, this is a haram. Brother, this is makruh. This is incorrect. Okay, done. Chup chop, quiet. I've got nothing more to say. Game over. Game over. I'm not going to say anything. Because you brought in front of me the words of Allah and the words of the Prophet ﷺ. So in front of that, I'm not going to speak. That is what a true believer is. He will be, he can speak to others, about others, but when it comes to Allah's words and the Quran's words and the Rasulullah's words, he doesn't say anything. How do you become like that? How do you reach that level of humility and submission is what the case is. And let's ask ourselves, Alhamdulillah, we're here to break iftar. We're fasting. We're in the masjid in Atikaf. But do we have that level of submission to the words of Allah and His Rasul? That's the reality what Ramadan reflections should be about. Ramadan reflection, I've spoken about you know, how deen has become uh, you know, customs. So the emphasis of food and suhoor and iftar is just over the top. I earlier in my few weeks ago before Ramadan Atikaf started, we talk about this. You know, I, I, I know some of you might not like this, but the reality, suhoor and iftar, whether it's, the, you know, we should have, we should have parties. We should, we should, I just talked about feeding, inviting people. But Ramadan is not the time for parties. Ramadan is a time for us to be involved. The amount of time you're cooking, the time should be spent in reading Qur'an. The time should be spent in, re- in doing dhikr, dua. I was mentioning about Mulana Ilyas rahmatullahi alayhi last night. His mother, his mother in Ramadan used to read 40, 40, 40 Jews of Qur'an every single day in Ramadan. 40 Jews, one Qur'an and 10 Jews. She was a hafidah of the Qur'an and it's mentioned in the biography that while taking care of all the house chores, while taking care of all the house chores, clearly mentions that too. It would not, she would still read, still recite, you know, 40 Jews. How was she able to do that? That's called barakah, of course. But you have to start somewhere. 
You have to start with one juice. You have to start with half juice. But the, the, the emphasis in Ramadan and food, because now we're going towards this new thing. What's it called? A Sahur fest. This new thing. They opened up in Michigan. They had it. They opened up now this year. First time in Dallas. Very soon it's going to happen over here. It has nothing to do with the deen, brothers. Let's stop taking stuff of, of, of fun, culture, nonsense, and just throw on an Islamic stamp. That's it. Like fashion show. You want to sell fashion? You want to do whatever you want? Okay, call it a fashion show. Why in the world you call it an Islamic fashion show? Like I've spoken about that before. So do whatever a person wants to do. Stay outside. Please don't take our labels from the masjid and put it on it and then sell it to us. You take water from the tap. You take dirty liquor and wine and put a zamzam label on it and sell it. I know there's some people who buy it. But why are we? We shouldn't fall for it. I can't stop the people who are doing this stuff. But we shouldn't fall for that. This, these type of suhoor fast, this, that. Oh, there's a lot of people. So what? You, know, you bring in a musician, a lot of people come. So why are we always focusing on a lot of people? All the families are coming. Families are coming and doing what? Let's look at some of the pictures and the videos coming out of these suhoor fast. It doesn't look as in do with deen. It's culture, it's fun, it's, this, is the, this is the month of celebration. No, it's not the month of celebration. This is the month of subhanAllah work, mujahada. This is how many battles took place, including Badr of course in Ramadan. How many amazing things the Sahaba did while fasting. This is time to work, roll up your sleeves and get to work. Not party. Ramadan is not party time. But that's what we're sending our, the message to the, to the new generation. That he's just come, 4,000, 5,000 people come, everyone dressed inappropriately, also on top of that, complete mix, and say let's just eat and enjoy. This is not how the nights of Ramadan the Salaf spent. This is why, subhanAllah, we're so far away from the deen. Because instead of spending the time in the masjid crying, unfortunately, so before that comes to Chicago, I'm letting you know that this is not something that, subhanAllah, we should be promoting or be a part of. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He grants us the true understanding of the deen. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to protect our tongues. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala save us from uttering anything that will be regarded as deficient, creating deficiency in our iman. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to be in the company of people who always keep us on the right track on the, uh, and keep us remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us complete submission to every single command of His. Subhanallah, alhamdi, subhanakallahu, alhamdik, la ilaha illa, nastaghfirullah, wa Inshallah, I request everyone to immediately head downstairs, inshallah, for iftar. There's a lot of brothers here, so let's not waste time, inshallah. Do not speak as you're going downstairs. Use this time to do individual dua and dhikr. Please, let's not create an environment of loudly speaking. Quietly, let us proceed downstairs. We'll be doing dua for those... The rest of us online as well, inshallah. Bismillah. Allahumma anta salamun ka salamun wa rahmatullahi wa jalali wa rikaram. Allahumma anta alhamdulillah wa rikaram. Shukru kullu. Allahumma la nafsi thalana alik anta kama athni ta'ala nafsik. Allahumma ya hayya qayyum bi rahmatika nastaghith. Aslih lana sha'lana kulla wa la takinna ila anfusina tarfata ayin. Allahumma aslih lana deenana alladhi yu'asmati amrina. Wa aslih lana dunyana alladhi fiha ma'ashuna. Wa aslih lana akhiratana alladhi fiha ma'aduna. Wa ja'al al-hayata ziyadatan lana fi kulli khair. Wa ja'al al-mawta rahatan lana min kulli sharr. Allahumma alimna ma yinfa'una wa anfa'na ma alimdana wa zidna ilman wa amala. Allahumma اللهم أرنا الحق حقا وارزقنا اتباعه وأرنا الباطل باطلا وارزقنا اجتنابه والله we ask you to accept any خير and good that we have done so far we ask you to overlook our mistakes والله we are trying to become better we are trying to improve on our on ourselves والله but we have a long way ahead والله we ask you to allow every day to become better than the previous one والله allow every day to become better than the previous one والله please as Ramadan is coming to an end do not allow us to take a big dip after this يا الله allow us to rather continue to grow after this يا الله والله والله we ask you Allah, we ask you Allah to grant us these few nights and few days that we have ultimate levels of understanding of where we stand in relation to you and allow us to understand what we needs to be done in order to improve ourselves, Ya Allah. Oh Allah, we ask you to fulfill all of our permissible desires and needs. Subhanallah bikra bil azati amma sifuna wa salamun al Rasadin. Alhamdulillah rabbil alameen. Ameen.